0: So we're in the book of Galatians. We've been in Galatians for some time now. You can open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 10 through 14 today, and Paul is in the process of destroying the teachings of false teachers, false teachers that have infiltrated Galatia. And one of the primary false teachings that has crept in into the Galatian church is that one needs to be circumcised to be in right relationship with God. One needs to do- begin adopting these laws to be in right relationship with God, to ensure that they are of the family of Abraham, that they are recipients of the promises of Abraham. So last week we began to see Paul demolishing these false teachings, these arguments that they're making, uh, and he, he did this by revealing how blessing came to Abraham, not from the law, but through faith. Righteousness was granted to Abraham through faith, not by any kind of law. And we saw that it was years and years later, after God declared Abraham righteous, that God gave Abraham the law of circumcision. So long before any law, Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith. And so that was the blessing of Abraham. We saw that last week. This week we dive into curse, the curse of the law. And Paul is juxtaposing blessing through faith and curse through law. So what I want to show you, or what I want to to answer two questions today, why does the law incur a, a curse? And what is the blessing of Abraham? We get a different answer this week. So let's read the passage. I'm going to read much more. For the sake of context. So let's start with Galatians 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supply the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, "'In you shall all the nations be blessed.'" So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all these things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. And although it's about curse, about these horrific things, what life there is in these words. And so, God, would you birth life in every one of us today, whether for the first time or whether we've been in you for decades. May there be some greater life, something more abundant, something, some more fruit that's birthed in us today. do in us what is eternal what is spiritual and change us and lord i pray that you'd use my words keep me from error give me the authority by your spirit as i speak in christ's name i pray it amen so before we get into the text i just want to make you i want to point something out about what paul is doing Paul is arguing his points, every point, from Scripture. So everything that he says, everything that he's trying to communicate, he's backing it up with Scripture. That's what we need to do as Christians. Everything that we believe, every conviction that we have, really every action that we take, in one way or another needs to be backed up by Scripture, We should be a people of the word, as Paul is demonstrating himself. He is a person of the word. And scripture, as he's he's writing it, scripture is happening. But he's using scripture to defend scripture. And that's something that I do, I try to do, as I preach, as I prepare, is use scripture to defend scripture. So there, there are texts that bring clarity to other texts, and that's what I want to be doing. And that's hopefully how I, I hope all of you are doing. So here's a practical um, application for this. If there's something that you don't like going on at the church or something you don't like about me or what I'm doing or something like that, you can tell me that and it might be like, okay, well, there's another thing. But if you can tell me that and reason it through Scripture, then I, then I, almost, I have to listen to you. I have to consider, I have to weigh what you're saying, and I will test it by Scripture, and if it is in line, we will change whatever that is. I will change whatever I'm doing, because we want to be a people of the Word. Okay, so that's what Paul is doing. He's using Scripture to, to create Scripture, to defend Scripture, uh, as we go through this, this passage. Okay. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 again. I want to show you the flow of how how these two verses flow together. Verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, "Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Those of who are of faith are blessed. Those who rely on the works of the law are cursed. So you can see it. Paul is pitting faith and works against each other. Faith and works are mutually exclusive. They don't go together. Faith has one outcome, blessing. Law has another outcome, curse. Okay, at this point, if you've been in... In the church for a while, if you've been a Christian for a while, there might be red flags. There might be alarms going off. Because James says, faith without works is dead. There seems to be a contradiction in the Bible. Well, there isn't. <laughs> and we're going to get to that. I'm going I'm to argue why this is not a contradiction. A little further on, but one thing is really important that we need to understand, and this comes right off, right from the beginning of our passage today, is the way in which Paul is talking about works, or relying, really, that's the key word, relying on works of the law. The question quickly should arise, rely on works of the law for What? Relying on works of the law to be in right standing with God. Relying on the works of the law to receive the blessings of Abraham. Relying on the works of the law to be saved. That's what Paul is talking about. That's how he is talking about works. Relying on them for your own justification. So, if you seek righteousness through your obedience to the law, you're under a curse. That's what Paul says. Then to prove that point, he cites Deuteronomy, and Paul's citation from Deuteronomy comes after a long string of curses for Israel violating their covenant with God. Curses for idolatry, curses for dishonoring parents, curses for perverting justice, justice for sexual sin, and, and so on. And then the last curse, Deuteronomy 27, 26, cursed Be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Now, Paul's quote in Galatians, if you're looking at your Bible, it sounds different than this. And that's because he's doing something that's very common among Jewish theologians, Jewish scholars, is he's taking two verses really, and he's mishmashing them to make a point. So the other verse that he's quoting here is Deuteronomy 28, 58. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, then you are cursed. So these quotes come at you in this way Those who do not do everything in the law are cursed. That should almost feel crippling. Those who do not do everything in the law are cursed. That means if, you're not, if you are seeking the favor of God by following one law, like circumcision, you also need to follow every other law. How many laws? 613 distinct laws. Perfect obedience to every one of them is required. That is why faith and works is an abomination to God. Because if you're going to believe in Jesus while at the same time taking on circumcision, for instance, you've trampled on Jesus and how he has freed you from the law and you're saying, I'm going to do this. And now if you're obeying circumcision, then you have to obey the festivals. And if you're obeying the festivals, then you have to obey the food laws and everything else comes after it. 613 laws. You say, that's how you're going to find righteousness is through obeying the laws. It's madness. You're going to have to follow every single one of them. One reason that we are not Catholics is because they take faith and they take works and they marry them, they try to marry them. But we don't need to say certain prayers. We don't need to see a certain man. We don't need to take a communion to be in right relationship with God. We don't need to be baptized to be in right relationship with God. We need Christ, crucified, risen, our Savior, and getting ahead of myself So we've seen two assertions that Paul has already put forward in verse 10, in one verse. There's two assertions that he's put forward explicitly, but there's one implicit, implied assertion that he is putting forward, one that isn't written there, but clearly Paul thinks it's so obvious to everybody who's reading it, so he doesn't himself write it down. And the implied assertion is that no one does everything written in the law. Or as he plainly puts it in Romans, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one is good, no, not one. And that suggests two things. First, no one keeps the law. No one is capable, or no one chooses to obey the law. No one seeks God. No one naturally desires God. No one naturally desires the things of God. Nobody naturally can obey the law. And secondly, uh, even by our best efforts, even if we wanted to, we can't do it. This is an altogether depraved situation, a situation that Paul states every one of us is in, every single one of us is in this depraved state, under the curse. And so when we looked at Galatians 15 and 16 I showed you how this total depravity is true for everybody whether you have heard the law or not heard the law whether you're a Jew or a Gentile God has written the law on the heart of every human and so every human is therefore condemned under the law the curse is on everyone and so if you missed that that was from May 5th you can go on the website and check out that sermon how I how I um, argue that everybody is cursed under the law. Okay, back to Paul. Back to verse 10. Paul's reasoning, if we were to put it in a formal argument, the two explicit assertions and the one implicit, it would go like this. Those who don't do everything the law requires are cursed. No one does everything the law requires. Therefore, those who rely on works of the law are cursed. And now we can look at verse 10 and it makes sense. Or, sorry, verse 11. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. So after Paul's argument in verse 10, it's evident. It is obvious that no one can be justified before God by the law. Nobody can live up to the law. Nobody can be as perfect as God. All fall short of the glory of God. And then Paul quotes the Old Testament again. He quotes Habakkuk. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. So even under the Mosaic Covenant, a covenant that's governed by law, it was always faith that justified. It was always faith. From Abraham to Moses to the prophets to Jesus to us today, it was always faith, is always faith that justifies a person before God. What makes a person righteous is to look at God and say, I cannot do this. I cannot obey your law. I cannot remove the curse from myself. I can't do it, but you can. That's faith. And that's how a person is justified. That's how a person is declared righteous. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So Paul's quoting Leviticus now. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. That's Leviticus 18.5. So he's using this quote to say that if anyone uses the law to be in right standing with God, they need to do it perfectly. The law requires perfection every moment, of every day, every moment of every day, you would be a slave to the law. Never actually being able to do it, always striving to accomplish it, never getting there. Like trying to fill a broken cistern with water, like trying to pay off a national deficit with your annual salary. I mean, it's ridiculous. And that's why he starts his sentence in verse 12 with, The law is not of faith. The law is about performance. The law is about obedience. It's about what you can achieve. It's about living perfectly. If you can live perfectly by the law, then God, he will owe you righteous. He will owe you righteousness. You have earned it. You have achieved it. But as we saw, and as we've been seeing for weeks now, this is utterly impossible. Craziness. No one is justified by works of the law. No, all that you earn by works of the law is a curse. Those are the wages that are due you. And what exactly is that curse? Curse. Well, back to Leviticus 28, there is a terrifying litany of curses for everybody who does not do the law. They're hard to read, really. Some of them are quite difficult to read. And think about that actually happening. And I'm not going to read all of it, but I will give you a bit of a collage from those curses. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Curse shall you be when you go in, and curse shall you be when you go out. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. All these curses shall come upon you, and pursue you, and overtake you till you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. The curse is death. Death in this world and death in the next world. Eternal separation from God, where if you look at God and you seek Him, there is no God, it's bronze. There's no prayer penetrating that. There's no listening. He is separated. No grace, no hope, no joy, no love. And as I've said, every human, not just Jews, are under this curse for breaking God's law. Everyone has lied. Everyone has stolen. Everyone has lusted. Everyone has hated, and knows that's wrong. The curse is on us all. Paul in in, in verse thirteen, Paul says that everybody who hangs on a tree is cursed. He's quoting Deuteronomy twenty one, verse twenty two. So for certain law, certain violations of the law, the death penalty was required. And the prescribed way of administering the death penalty was by stoning. They'd take you outside of the camp and stone you with stones, which would be horrific. And then they would take that dead body and lift it up on a tree or a pole and hang it there for everybody to see you would see how shameful how final is covenant violation that is what you get for being under the law that is the curse no the law is not a faith But faith changes everything. Remember one of the main questions that Paul is trying to answer in the book of Galatians? What time is it? He's writing in the era of Christ, knowing that Christ has fulfilled the law completely. Jesus and Jesus alone has lived perfectly according to the law. If you hold Jesus up and you hold the law up, there is no deficiency. He is righteous, and the law proves that he's righteous. He was righteous from eternity past, transcending the law. He has obeyed all 613 commands, living in perfect obedience. And when Christ did that, when he fulfilled the law... The eras switched. New age was ushered in. Jesus ushered in the new covenant. And the world changed. The universe changed. The path to God changed. And this is where, precisely where Paul goes next. In verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So God made a way for the curse to be removed from us, for our transgressions, for our covenant violation, (laughs) defiolation. Under the old covenant, God had provided animal sacrifices. And so for your sins, for your transgressions, that animal would be taken and killed and hacked apart and burned. The curse would be placed on the animal and removed from you, temporarily. You sin again, you have to have another sacrifice. And they couldn't stop sinning, so they needed another sacrifice, and another sacrifice. But those sacrifices, those temporary, brutal sacrifices, always were pointing forward to that one and final sacrifice, the one sacrifice that would pay for every sin, once and for all. Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice, the perfect Son of God, God Himself, going to the cross. And our curse, my curse, is transferred onto Him. He becomes the curse. He became sin who knew no sin. And so now by believing that, by believing that Jesus Christ lived perfectly according to the law, that he took on my curse, that he died for my curse, that he rose again, by believing these things, you are saved, you are redeemed. As Paul says in verse 13, Christ redeemed us, redeemed, redeemed, he gave you life so that you could live in holiness. God created you to live in holiness as he is holy. And the law explains how to live in holiness. It shows a person how to be holy. But because you are a sinner, you broke that life that he gave you. And now you owe God this unpayable debt. You are not holy. You are not how he created you to be. And you cannot earned that back. Hence the curse. So now through trusting in Christ, he has paid that debt through the precious blood of of Him, of himself, of, of the Son of God. He bought you back. He redeemed you from the debt you owed, from the death you deserved, from the curse that you bore. He redeemed you from these things. And now, as a result of that redemption, you are the recipient of every single covenant promise. Every promise was given to the one who could fulfill the law or to the one who was righteous. Christ fulfilled the law. Christ is righteous. Christ, all covenant promises are true in Christ. And now they are his to freely give. They always were. But to come in him in faith means that he gives you every covenant promise, every blessing of Abraham. You're united to Christ, and therefore you're a recipient of every covenant promise. Now look at verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So when we talk about covenant promises, what do we mean? Well, there are many covenant promises in the Old Testament. We talked about righteousness last week as a covenant promise. But there's one that is greater. One promise above them all. And in the light, bind them. Isaiah 43, 3. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. The blessing of the Holy Spirit is promised in numerous other Old Testament passages and Paul is saying that the ultimate promise of Abraham, the ultimate fulfillment of blessing is the giving of the Holy Spirit. There is no greater gift that you have been given then the Holy Spirit. And it is given to all who come to Jesus to be redeemed. The Spirit is poured out upon all who trust in Christ, who, that trust that Jesus has become their, their curse, that Jesus has given them his righteousness. You have been given the Holy Spirit if you trust in these things. So as he implied in chapter 3, verse 5, the Holy Spirit is not being given because you've obeyed some law, because you went out and got circumcised. It is being given because you heard the gospel of grace and you believed it. The law is not of faith. The law cannot save. The law cannot indwell you with the Holy Spirit. Seeking justification through the law does not earn God's favor. It earns the curse of God. So here we come skidding up against it, right up, a, right up against a potential grave mistake. And it would be a disaster if we took this to mean that the law is meaningless. We can throw away the law. We can unhitch ourselves from it. In separate occasions, in chapters 5 and chapter 6, Paul says that we must strive to fulfill the law. We must live in obedience to the law. And as I started out by saying, he's pitting law against faith. So doesn't this sound like a contradiction? What is he trying to say? What is he doing? How does the law still apply to us? And the way that this isn't a contradiction because you have the Holy Spirit. You may have heard it said that the Spirit lives in your heart, or Jesus has come to live in your heart. What does that mean? Because there is not a man inside of my beating heart. I would die. The heart, spiritually speaking, is your desire factory. The seed of your ambitions, your joys, your hates, that is coming all out of the heart. And the heart is indeed where the spirit takes up residence, meaning that the spirit begins changing your heart as it was promised long ago, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh And I will put my spirit within you and cause you, listen, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the primary function of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, coming to live in your heart, is to change your desires. Obedience is no longer about being good enough or coercing god to let you into heaven or earning justification obedience is about living out of the spirit living out of your love for christ living out of your love for god these are expressed the law is now an expression of your love for god the spirit within you is causing you to think differently to want differently And so now, more and more, the thing you want more than anything else is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. In these two things, the law is summed up. You want more than anything, because of the Spirit in you, to love God and to love the people around you. The Spirit is conforming you into the righteousness you have been given. Do you understand that? You have been given righteousness because of faith, but you are not righteous in actuality, like the way that you live your life. I'm not. (laughs) But the Spirit is conforming me into the righteousness of Christ. And the more breath that He allows me to draw the more he draws me closer into that righteousness. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from how I abide by the law. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You want to be like Christ? Then do not rifle through Deuteronomy and say, all right, here's one. I can do this one. Here's another one. Don't go to the Beatitudes and say, all right, I need to be poor in spirit. I need to be meek. I need to be humble. That is not how you become like Christ. You become like Christ because you come to him and say, you loved me and you gave yourself for me. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the, f- in, faith, in the flesh, I live by faith. By faith. Would to be like Christ? You look at the cross. You remember who he is and what he did for you. And that, every moment of that, is the Holy Spirit in you. Alive and working, drawing you nearer from one degree of glory to another. So we don't disregard the law, but the law is being made alive in us by the Holy Spirit. Now, to be clear, the law is not the source of our righteousness, but it is our joyous expression of our love for Christ. And Paul is going to get into that much more heavily in verses 5 and 6. We're coming back to it. But right now, even though we do, if the Spirit is, is in us, if we have been justified, if we've been given the righteousness of Christ, if those things are true of us, then right now you probably, to some measure, do want to love God with all of your heart and to love others. And yet we fail at that. And we are reminded again that that isn't us. Living that out every day. We fail. We sin. We fall. And every time we fall, faith trusts in Christ who paid for those fallings, for those failings. Every time you sin, you trust that Christ has seen that paid for it, and forgiven it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. The curse has been totally, eternally removed. The way that the curse removes the wicked from God is the way that God removes His children from the curse. Eternally. Infinite separation. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are new, you are a different kind of being because the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you. And I want to leave you with this one thought from the theologian Thomas Schreiner. We live, then, in the joy and freedom of forgiveness. On the one hand, we are conscious of our sin. On the other hand, such knowledge does not cripple us, for the cross is our liberation and freedom from the curse of sin. Faith trusts in what God has done for us in Christ. Depression and discouragement surely have many causes, but one of the main roots of depression is the feeling that we have failed and are unloved. The gospel summons us to reject such feelings and to place our trust in what God says about us. God declares, You are justified, liberated, forgiven. I love you. Let's pray. How wonderful. How wonderful that you did this for us. The darkness and the horror, the slavery of the law and the curse is terrifying. And Christ endured it all that we might have life. We praise you for this plan that you set into motion long before you laid the foundations of the world. You set into motion for us whom you love. How beautiful you are, God, and how quickly we forget that. Oh, by your Spirit's work in us, I pray that you would continually bring us back to the cross where the condemnation is removed, where your love is lavished upon us, where we can neither live in guilt or in pride. Oh God, do these things in us. We trust that you're doing these things in us. I believe it, but help my own belief. what a good God you are. We praise you. We praise you because of Christ, crucified, risen, alive. It's in his name we